Hello, I'm Steve Dania, and this is the My Pride Playlist Pridecast from Virgin Radio Pride. In each episode, we speak to a member of the LGBTQ plus community and go through tracks that have soundtracked their lives. Now, due to rights reasons, the music is shorter than the original broadcast, but it's still great. Enjoy. The Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney Plus. Full of stories and love for all. Welcome to my Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm Steve Denyer. What a guest I've got for you tonight. It's Nigel Martin-Smith, the guy who remortgaged his house to release the very first Take That song. He then went on to become their manager. He toured around the world with them. He then opened the best super club that I've ever been to, and I worked there as well, Essential Nightclub in Manchester. Hello, Nigel. I'm just thinking, rethinking about those days in that club. It was amazing. It was a legendary club in the end. It was like, to the gay community, essential was what Hacienda was to the straight people. I mean, they love it. And they are, the people met the partners there. People met the best friends there. And it's still like that. And there's a, a crowd of hardcore, there's, a, there's, there's websites and, and social media all about essential it's mad yeah. but we were family yeah. we didn't realize it at the time but we all became family and we lost some people along the way of course a lot of people the very first essential night we did at the albert hall we put up just images while we were all having a great time we, were, we had screens put up and there was images of everyone that we lost wow. including the lovely nixie of course but you know and people were we were applauding it, crying. It was just lovely. Let's start with your first song on the list. And uh, I don't know what you've picked tonight, so this is really cool. So we're just going to... It's kind of your show. You're leading this Uh-oh. thing. It's what are you going for? What should we listen Uh-oh. to first? Uh-oh. Well, you know what? The, I, I've always had an agency, a talent agency, um, model agencies, actors agencies. It's where Take That came from. Yeah. And there's one track in particular, the very, back in the 80s, it was pretty tough in Manchester. There was no, there was no fashion scene really in Manchester. There is now, it's massive now. There's loads of e-com companies in Manchester, Pretty Little Thing, Boohoo, all the big e-com companies are in Manchester and so it's huge now modelling in Manchester but back in the day in the 80s I did my very first fashion show at the Millionaire Club in Manchester it was Pete Stringfellow's first ever club we inflicted Pete Stringfellow on the world people you heard it here <laughs> wow, and it was called the Millionaire Club and, and I put on a fashion show there with my models and I staged it was the very first bit of staging I ever did and they came on all these wonderful five foot ten girls with long hair in these fantastic dresses and they they moved to a track called the model by Kraftwerk and it was the very first and whenever I hear it I always remember it brings all, all those days back love it
It's Craftwork Model on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm Steve Daniel. My amazing guest tonight, you are in for a treat, is Nigel Martin-Smith on my Pride playlist. Uh, so listen, this casting agency then, how did it work? How did you start it? How I came into the industry, I was a, I, I, I started off as, as a cabaret act with a girl called Angie Gold. That's how I got my equity card. And at the time, I, was, I, I looked really young. I was about probably 21, but I looked really young and a cabaret casting agent said because you've got an equity card you can play down to a 16 17 year old and there's very few lads in the 80s in the late 70s early 80s that had an equity card so I ended up doing bit parts and as a result of that I ended up working with a couple of models who were with an agency in Manchester that were opening their own agency and I went in with them as an actor's agent never done it before just completely blagging it really yeah oh god yeah and it was really difficult because everything back then was done in London it still is to some degree, but the smart casting people are realising that there's fantastic talent all over the country, especially in the north, especially in places like Liverpool and Manchester. So they started casting further afield. But when I started off, it was really tough because there was very little done in Manchester. Mm. I mean, I think the thing that really got me was when I was a bit part actor, I used to know Brian, Brian Quentin. I don't remember Brian Quentin, but he ended up playing uh, Ivy Tilsley's son. That's right. Chris, yes. Quentin. Chris Quentin. Chris Quentin. Chris Quentin. I'm, I'm mixing yes. his name. But his, the guy with the curly his character hair. was Brian. Yes. And he was quite a fit lad. Yeah. But it's Geordie. So a, a casting director was casting... Um, uh, one of the films, International, the thing that Liz Taylor was in, International, whatever it was about. And I, there was a line on a horse, and this casting director said to me, Can you ride a horse? And I said, I was honest and said, No. And uh, Chris Quentin said, Oh, I can ride a horse. He can't ride a horse either. But he got this one line in this film, International Velvet, it was. Right. International Velvet. So he got this one line in this remake of this film. And as a result of him doing that one line, he got the part of Brian Tilsley in Coronation Street. Wow. And that's how bad it was, because back in the day, the London casting director of Coronation Street thought a Geordie accent was a northern accent. Oh, that'll do. <laughs> so you'd got, a, you'd, got, you'd got Ivy Tilsley and her husband, who were both proper northerners, and the son had a Geordie accent. Brilliant. How mad is that? <laughs> and I, that's when I went, you know what? We need a decent agent in Manchester. So I just started doing it myself. And it was brilliant. I, I had people like Caroline Milmo, who was a, who won't mean anything to you, but she was a very famous leading actress uh, doing all sorts of things and it, it you know that's how I really took off more as an agent for actors and fashion models and and people say you know in London you don't have you have model agents and you have actors agents back in the 80s in Manchester you had to be a jack of all trades there wasn't enough work to say oh I'm just a model agent or oh I just look after actors you just did everything all right introduce your next song and we'll play it and you can tell me all about it because this is great right it's yeah it's going to be really odd this but um, my next one is can you feel it by the Jackson five It's Nigel Martin-Smith on my Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm Steve Denny. And Nigel, that is a legendary tune. Why did you pick the Jackson 5? Can, can you feel it by the Jackson 5? It's the first record I ever bought. And the Jacksons taught me 
I mean, A, when I listened to the vocals, I was like, why are their vocals? Why is Michael Jackson so different to everyone else? So it taught me about the, the, the how important it was to have a soulful voice and introduced me, a white boy in Manchester, to soul soul singers. Mm. And, and, you know, after that, I was really into Motown because of the, the vocals were just unbelievable. But also, I think it, it taught me about showmanship and the importance of showmanship, even in a musical act. Um, I mean, they were the perfect pop act, really, weren't they? It's interesting what you say about, you know, you're, you're looking at the Jacksons and, and saying, God, what a great outfit. Did that, back then, were you kind of thinking possibly uh, of going into what you did and starting a band or thinking about the formation of characters if you were to create a band? Yeah, I mean, I think... Back then, Manchester was grey, it was dreary. When I left school, I became an management trainee at the local electricity board. And I thought, you know, nah, this isn't for me. I don't want... I, I mean, people had, like, camera clubs and football clubs and they played football on a Sunday and on Monday they spent all day talking about it. And then on Tuesday they'd talk about someone in costume that had just died and, you know, have you got a blue P45 form or are you using your pink 360? And I'm like, what? Boring, you know, this yeah. is not the life I want to lead. And... Music was great, and, and I used to go to the theatre a lot, and it was an escape. And I knew I wanted to be involved in the media. I just didn't know how to go about it. I was out, you know, doing this cabaret act, thinking, is this what I want to do? And it wasn't really. And But I just want... I loved the media. I loved entertainment. It wasn't particularly me that was going to do it. So you didn't have anyone in the family that also did it? You kind of say this was like you no. started your own journey? Yeah, I think so. It's amazing. Yeah, um... You just kind of knew you had that. I just wanted to be involved in creativity in the media and in helping people get make better, make themselves turn themselves into something. I've just peeked down at the next one. Yes. Um, I mean, there's so much to ask you, but we'll go into this next song. You and you uh, introduce it, please. Well, on my next list, <laughs> and the first thing that jumps out at me is I don't know how to spell patience. <laughs> I did notice. How that. do you spell pa- patience? Don't ask me. We'll be and here I, for the yeah, rest but of the, yeah. one of the things that really gets me is wherever I go, people always go, hmm, well, you may have invented Tate that, you may have created them, but they're bigger now than they ever were, and you, you had nothing to do with the comeback, and it drives me really? mad. Because I did the comeback. You did, didn't you? Well, people don't realise it because what happened is I had a thing at the time, again, before he was uh, locked up, Gary Glitter used to do Christmas tours and it was huge. And Gary Barlow took me out to see the producers in London. He just rang me one day and said, come and see the producers. So we got to see the producers and I'm sat there all the way through it thinking, what jump have you brought me here? And he's going on about the production and look, you know, this is like something you do. Look at that, look at this. And then we went for a Chinese afterwards and it dawned on me and I said, Gary, you want to come back into music, don't you? And I could tell, he went, oh, no, not me. And I know Gary really well. And I'm like, he might as well have said, yeah, yeah, how did you know? Because he he was saying to me, you need to come back. There's no managers like you, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So, So that's how it all started, really. I went away thinking, how do I bring Gary back into the business and I thought I know bring take that back I must just ask you so at this point how long had they been split up because I remember was, like 1996 there was the helpline saying yeah, you 96 know 96 they split up right and the idea in my head was 2006 we'll do the comeback right. we'll do a 10 year 
greatest hits album and we'll do a comeback and they'll play Christmas arenas at Christmas and then they can do it every Christmas. That was the idea. And at the time I was on a programme called A Star for a Night with Jay McDonald and Barbara Windsor. And I was one of the judges. And the BBC producers, when you do these shows at night, you go, you end up in some hotel somewhere and you're bored and you're having lunch or having dinner with these producers and you end up just talking rubbish so I ended up telling them all my take that stories which I have to say I've I've not got anything bad to say about take that for various reasons certain members of take that are always constantly criticizing me but I would never ever respond to it I don't even notice but I never ever say anything bad about them so it was all positive stories and fun stories and this, this producer said to me you know you should do the documentary on Take That because no one knows these stories and they're lovely stories Mm. things like you know no one knows that we always used to see children either disadvantaged or terminally ill or whatever we always used to before every show we put half an hour aside and if people had evidence that these kids were, you know, could do with a bit of happiness. They used to bring them in and we'd have pictures and everything. The only proviso was that he didn't tell the press. So, again, it's about positive energy. We used to do this every night up and down the country. So, uh, and, and lots of stories like that. So they said, why don't you do the definitive Take That documentary? I agreed to do it. And then Simon Cowell rang me. He said... <laughs> Um, why don't you let my production company make the show and do it for ITV? It can be much more commercial and it'll be bigger. So we agreed that he and I were the joint producers of the show and it was massive. And, and, and it all took off from there. And actually I arranged the tour and everything. And then two days before we announced the tour was on, Jason Orange rang me and said, you're fired. <laughs> Steve Daniel with you tonight. It's my Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. The one and only Mr. Manchester, Nigel Martin-Smith, is here with me. Uh, it's a peak 90s D-ream. Things can only get better. I love this song. Remember it well. Tell me more about this. They were the band that supported Take That on their very first arena tour of the UK. Which was, when would that have been? Kind of time-wise, that would have been... It'll have been about 93, yeah. around there. And it makes me smile, this track, because obviously it was when Tony Blair got that big landslide victory after a grey, boring, sleazy Tory government and Tony Blair, and it was like, things can only get better. And it's like, yeah, you reckon? I hope so. <laughs> and I was going... Then I knew... Don't forget, I'd been plugging away at Take That. Everyone turned them down. No-one wanted Take That in the early days. Um, you know, we were left waiting at record companies for two hours and I'd be there sat with Gary and they wouldn't see us. And, oh, it was awful. And no-one had... Uh, you know, when we got... The very first, I released the first record. I remortgaged my house. I heard that. I remortgaged my house. What an idiot! But I was that convinced and that determined to make these lads successful yeah. that I remortgaged my house and no one would play the record. And it was just everyone was saying no. So it was and, make or break for you when well, you did that, was yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And then by this time, of course, 
by 93, we knew we were safe. We were having hits. The kids were following us and we were doing arena tour. And this track, Things Can Only Get Better, it's like, yes, I believe it now. And it's, it's, a, it's a great positive record and it makes me happy. You can walk my path. You can wear my shoes. Land a tug like me. Dream, things can only get better. It's the choice of my guests tonight on Virgin Radio Pride on my Pride playlist, picked by Nigel Martin Smith. Can I take you back to kind of when Take That started? Um, I read somewhere that you came up with the idea of putting a band together all the way back in 1990. Would I be right? It was probably earlier than that that I, w- I first realised. Um, I, I did a pop show. With, uh, uh, that was it. I was actually a guest. There used to be a pop show called the Number Seventy Three, and it was a yes, house. ITV Morning. It was a house, was it and that morning? Sandy Trostvig, whatever her name Sandy is, Toxvig. Toxvig. Yes. Toxic. <laughs> What's her name? It's, I can never. Why do you have a name I like that? I remember that show. Yeah. Well, she was on it. Right. And I, they they came and they said, "We want young, pretty kids." Will you come, this is as a model agent, yeah. and be a model agent visiting with a load of models on Amazing. that show? And we did it, and, and um, New Kids on the Block were on it, and they were like, I thought the President of the United States said, there's all these Americans running around with, like, earpieces in, and don't go near them, don't look them in the eye, and I'm like, what? And it was so annoying for me, because I'm thinking, they're not even that good. And I've got lads on my books younger than that with more talent that would die for this and they'd be nice to people. And that made me start thinking, mm, maybe I should do something like that. But but that was the problem. They were huge at the time, New Kids on the Block. And every record company we went to went, we've got New Kids on the Block. Why do we need another band? You know. So there was a lot of that and it was, it was pretty heavy going at the beginning. You must be a great, great visionary, though, because you picked... I mean, people often say this now. You, you put together the greatest band since the Beatles, didn't you? Well, and that, that was your I, I, doing. But, you know, again, more than anything, because you, people... You know, we didn't hold loads of auditions. I didn't see hundreds or thousands of people. I literally met with people, and I'm a great believer in fate. And so people like Jason Orange, I saw when I was doing The Hitman and Her, remember that? Yeah. And Robbie Williams wrote to me, but it was not Robbie Williams, it was his mum. His mum wrote me yes, this letter, it was obviously it. lady writing, it was all joined up and really nice. <laughs> and it said things like, uh, I am a disco dancer and child actor, and I, I have a disco danced in every discotheque in North Staffordshire. I'm like, that's not you writing. And there's this little kid, he looks about 10. Amazing. And uh, yeah, that was the Robbie Williams. That was his. Wasn't he kind of selling double glazed windows or something at the well, time? Well, I think or? he probably did that for about a week, as I remember. <laughs> I think that was, I don't think he was working at all, right. to be honest. It was one of them jobs, you know, where you see in the paper and it says, want to work in marketing? And you think, oh, yeah, I want to be in marketing. You ring up, and you go, we'll pay you £4 for every window you sell. It was one of them jobs, I think. When you first. Laid eyes on Robbie. What did you think? Well, he, came, he was very young, um, very confident, and his mum went everywhere with him. Um, and, you know, she was a bit of a showbiz mum, dare I say. So 
it was hard to think anything because his mum was saying, do Robbie, do Michael Jackson, Robbie, do Mick Jagger, Robbie, do... And he was more of an impersonator. But he always had loads of charisma. And he was just one of those people that can turn his hand to anything. Okay, now the next song is, well, it's out and out late 90s, kind of late 90s, early noughties, and uh, we'll play it now and hear your story in a second. Sophie Ellis-Bexter, Groove Jet. I love this tune. See Daniel with you tonight. It's my pride playlist. My guest sitting opposite me is Mr. Nigel Martin Smith on Virgin Radio Pride. Uh, we just heard Groove Jet. Tell me why you picked that because it is completely legendary. When we very first opened Essential, that was the big Essential anthem. I've been on holiday to Ibiza. You know, like you do. You go on holiday and you hear a record and you're dancing away at it. And then six months later, it's a hit. Yeah. You think this is my record. Yeah. I own my this record. <laughs> and, and it was one of them because it was played like mad in the club and I saw it around the club. Going, yeah, yeah, this is my record. This, <laughs> and so whenever I hear this, it just reminds me of a It reminds me of being young and dancing about, and it reminds me of Essential in the early days. And that's fascinating. At that particular point, that would have been pre-Essential, but kind of post-Queer as Folk. You know, that, so late nineties, yeah. yeah, early yeah. noughties in Manchester. Can I ask you that around that time? That was that real explosion, wasn't it? And put Manchester on the scene your club queer as folk that yeah. time what was what was canal street and manchester like slightly before then because you are mr manchester oh, i feel yes. that you should give me the definitive right then yeah <laughs> so well man the gay village was as always there's always been gay bars around there for years yeah how many years can you remember well when like, i when was you growing, growing up when i you know when in the like 80s, early 80s, they'd be Thompson's Arms and the New Union and a handful of other gay pubs in that area. Because Canal Street then, it was all like hookers and people like that, and it was the sort of warehouses and the dirty canal. So right. it was, as ever, it was a part of town that nobody else wanted to go to. And the gays moved in and then made it really cool and, and then everyone else moved in and went, wow, we want a bit of it. Mm -hmm. And so... The problem with Queer as Folk, what it did is it brought a lot of the... It made the gay village more famous. And so you got a lot of big breweries moving in, you know, and a lot of bars opened on Canal Street and they all started competing with each other. And, and that's when things started going a bit wrong because you then started getting um, the people coming as if they're coming to visit a zoo let's all go and look at the gays mm -hmm. so you start getting the hen parties come in and because the hen parties were there you start getting the straight lads come in and before you know you are it's not really the gay village anymore and that, again that's another reason when I opened Essential mm -hmm. I had a bit of a battle with the council because you're not allowed to turn people away because they are are straight and it was we weren't turning them away because they were straight I used to have Chrissy Darling on the door who's like an eight foot drag queen and her job was to say to the people that didn't look gay do you want to give me a kiss or yes, come here I've boy. witnessed this yeah well she probably wanted to kiss you that's <laughs> yeah, a different story I did story. I obliged but, this is a different, but in, she'd be there to say so if a lad she'd say oh come here and give me a you look like a gorgeous boy and if he went oh I don't know about that she'd say, she'd say well that's why you can't come in <laughs> you know it. so it was a clever way of doing it now it's not because they're straight it's because they've not got the positive out for a night out liberal minded yeah. f 
you know, friendly attitude. So you, and you absolutely crap that with essential. Well, I mean, yeah. I was speaking but we about used to get loads, so but... much crap because I'd get someone, you know, the equalities officer at Manchester City Council would be sending people with high vis jackets, going, "You're turning down straight people. You are being, you know." And it's like, no, we're not. We're turning down anybody that's got the wrong attitude. Yeah, the cuckoo's and trouble. When did you ever see any trouble in essential? I never saw There'd anything. Fourteen hundred people, and there'd be never any trouble never, ever, never, ever because we, and the, because the team, the front house team, were just so good at picking the right people. Now, this is interesting. Just having a just having a peek at your list. ELO, Living Thing, is your next pick. Again, it's a monster track from a youth, really. And it got me into music, this, I think, because, you know, it's... it's multi-track, there's loads of musical instruments on it, load of vocal harmonies, and ELO, as a, as a musical project, I just... I just love them. But I love the production, and it got me into all of that. And, uh, I just love this track, Living Thing by Yellow. Great tune, loved hearing that. ELO, Living Thing, on my Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. If you just tuned in, my very special guest is Nigel Martin-Smith, manager of Take That, owner of Manchester's finest club, the Super Club Essential. Let me take you back, as soon as you played that song, Nigel, to when you were growing up. Did you, looking back on things, did you always realise you were gay? It was weird accepting I was gay when I was about 19, 20, and mm-hmm. not, I'd not had a gay experience, but I knew then I wanted one and I didn't know how to get in a gay club daft things like that yeah. I was probably 18 I think I didn't know how to get in a gay club and after ages I, I, there was a place called Dickens um, Dickens as in Oliver Twist not the other one and uh, <laughs> it was Dickens on Ox uh, anyway I can't remember it was, Dick, it was Dickens here in Manchester in, in Manchester yeah. in the Northern Quarter when it, before it was the Northern Quarter Oldham Street it was right and it was one of those places where it's got a big door you only have to, you have to be a certain age to know what I'm talking about there'd be a great big door and you'd go up and you'd knock on the door <laughs> and then there'd be like a little spy hole Amazing. and they looked at you to check you weren't going to you know fire torch, torch the place and they'd look at you and then you clunk clunk clung and they'd open this door and this is what happened and they looked at me and went what do you want and I'm like to come in and they literally looked me up and down and went no and shut the door short and I'd parked my little mini over the road so I got in my mini and sat and thought shit they won't let me in and just as I was thinking they don't want me this copper walks up and it was one of them you know it was a copper with a like with a little moustache and a cane under his arm and he had a lad with him it was quite fit, actually. But he had this <laughs> lad with him, and I'm looking at the lad thinking, do you want to go in there with me? But and all of a sudden, he tapped on my car with this cane. And I thought, oh, so I got out of the car and went, yes. And he said, where have you been? And I went, I didn't want to say, so I said, in there. And he went, you've been in there? And I went, yeah. And he said to this lad, book him. I'm thinking, for what? And the lad went over all my car and finally found a, a ball tyre. Wow. And he was booking just because I'd been in a gay club. Just because you'd been there. And I hadn't. (laughs) So I sat there, he gave me a ticket for a bald tyre, and I sat there thinking, 
I was just so depressed. So I felt they don't want me, and he don't want me. And it's just, it was horrible. It'd be so, like, for, for younger people to hear that story now, yeah. you couldn't even imagine no. such a thing, or such an era it even was... existing now. But how did that, because, you know, looking back on that time, we didn't have role models. There were no television shows tailored to, to, to us. Yeah. Um, and you couldn't, get into, you couldn't even get into a bar to meet other people well. of, your, of similar persuasion. How did yeah. it make you feel? Um, on that night, pretty shit, yeah. to be honest with you. I think it's about having strength of character. And now, one of the things that really upsets me and the thing I have a real problem with is you hear that, you know, the highest suicide rate is young men between, like, 18 and 25 or something. And recently, I saw a young lad who actually came to see me about modelling who was, like, into football and all the rest of it, but... I had a suspicion he might be gay. He never came in. He never came back, and he committed suicide. And his mum's like, "I don't know why he committed suicide." And I think I, I think I do. And you hear it all the time, and it's still happening. Um, and that's why we have a duty. I mean, I'm I'm quite political when it comes to it because, you know, I'm I'm forever ranting on social media because if if I see any kind of homophobia, I have a massive... Or racism. I have a massive problem with it. It's Why are people so unkind? It's heartbreaking. How, how do you feel we're at at the moment with that? Um, what have I think, we got to do? I think do? you're right. I think, for me, the frustration is kids don't see how important it is to keep banging the drum. They sort of now which is great in some ways, they've got so much more freedom and it's good that they don't see that the issue is still there. But it's still there. I mean, one of my best friends this weekend was asked by one of his best mates to be a best man at the wedding and the bride's family um, all said, that's okay as long as he doesn't do a speech because he's a gay man. His speech might be embarrassing to our family and we're not coming to the wedding if the best man does a speech because he's gay. What? Anyway, we're getting a bit deep, aren't we? No, 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 but it's, it's a great conversation to be had. So this song, I know where we're going with this song. Ed Sheeran, I just love him. Just when everyone was saying, you know, because of the way the charts are compiled now and will the UK ever find another worldwide artist again and uh, you know everyone was criticizing us and i was getting a bit worried to be honest and along comes ed sheeran Mm. who's not only a brilliant songwriter i mean it's just it's just the whole package isn't it yeah Uh, i've also thrown this in because i realized everything was like in the 60s and 70s and i was (laughs) sounding a bit old but you know it's just to bring it a bit more up to date I think the best pop song in years is Shivers by a cheerum. My guest tonight on Virgin Radio Pride on my Pride playlist is Nigel Martin-Smith. It seems like the perfect time to ask you this, Nigel. What do you think about the music industry now? You know, and how it's changed, because it's changed dramatically since we've known each other in the last two decades. God, how long have we got? It's so tough now for new artists coming through because there's so many platforms and they've changed 
everything. I don't think for the better. They should have kept the charts based on sales, based on actual sales and downloads. Because when you start saying the charts can also be compiled by playlists, for example, you're giving it back to the men in the suits and not the kids. And and that worries me that. And and so there's too much emphasis on, on, on playlist charts. And, you know, I find it really frustrating that still an awful lot of what's going on is is in the music is being dictated by men in suits that work for Radio 1 and, and Capital or whatever, I suppose mm. you shouldn't say that, but, um, you know, but that's, that's the reality of it. It's still very political. It's still a, a minority of people deciding what's happening in the charts and we've got television now playing less music and that's really important. We need a, we need a top of the pops. Yeah. You know, it's it's just getting really tough. Right, let me take you straight into your next track. Uh, one word, one name, Kylie. My Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. Nigel Martin-Smith is here with me tonight and he's just picked Kylie. Kylie Minogue was the artist that opened your nightclub, Essential Nightclub in Minchell Street, the end of Canal Street in Manchester. Um, it was an incredible club. I worked there for two and a half years, every Friday, every Saturday. How did you, I've always wanted to ask you this, how did you create such a brilliant, brilliant night? I always used to say, in the end, I ended up employing my own doorman because that was one of the biggest problems was, you know, those sort of dorm and that, you know, are you doing drugs or you're not coming in? Or, And I used to say to my door team, you know, the first people, it's not easy being gay and they're coming up for a night out. This is their night out and they're turning up and they feel intimidated by a big straight guys looking down at them. It's your, you're the first people they see. You're either going to make or break the night. I want you to welcome them. I want them to like you, get to know you. You know, I'm not asking you to be, I'm asking you to be civil, not servile, but I'm asking you to help people and understand that you're actually on an entertainment venue door and you're the first person they see. And the amount of doormen I used to fire because, you know, they've just, some of them just, don't get it. But in the end, we ended up with a great team. Was it always a success? Was it an overnight success? No. So Kylie launched it. God, no, yeah, it wasn't. It was tough. It was tough because everyone was doing buy one, get one free and all sorts of things. And it was a big venue to fill. How many people did it fit? It used to, we used to get about 1,200 in, 1,400 in. This is amazing so, now. Yeah, when you look on at three that, floors. On three floors. Yeah, but it, it was, so it was tough at first to fill, and that's why we ended up only opening really four nights a week, because otherwise it was... It's, and, you know, it's, it's like now we do Essential um, every six months at Albert Hall, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's easier to fill because it's an event. So you don't have to... When you're opening somewhere every week, you've got to, you know, do different nights, find new ways of getting the same people to yeah, come. Yeah, yeah. But now, I mean, you know, essential that we do now is on a completely different level. It's massive. We've sure. got confetti cannons and O2 cannons and loads of muscle boys. It's I'm going to come. I must fab. come. I'd love to come and see you. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't think I ever came along and I didn't see you. You were always there. 
like in the background you were uh, the amount of times he used to see you coming into the club and you'd be at the door but looking really proud of the night and overseeing everything it was your baby you you run that place yeah and well, so I mean, well. well there was a there was a team i mean you know there'd be you guys in the pop lounge you and, and nixie would pick the the would run the pop lounge really yeah. from with, with you, the music policy and everything and I had a great team around me but you, you're right I used to keep my eye on it I think you have to that makes the difference between anything being successful it's like in the take that days I used to go everywhere with them it was a bloody nightmare <laughs> because I would be on the coach going everywhere but you had to be you had to be there with them all the time because once you take your eye off anything then things start going wrong. Yeah. You know. do, you, do you have, just one more question on the Go Essential on. Era, because I miss it so much. Um, do you have one night that you remember, uh, apart from the launch night? One, because every night was a massive party. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? It just merges into one <laughs> big party. One. So how many years was it open? It was open. It opened in 2000 and it closed in 2013. Oh, really? But the main years, I reckon, were between... Because you were saying it took about a year to get off the ground. Um, and, you know, you have to find your park market, find your place. And we went from fighting to get people from Manchester through the doors till in the end, you know, when we did the cash count, it'd be like loads of Scottish notes because the people coming from Scotland yeah. they were coming from um, all parts down south um, I mean in the, the summer I used to give, do shouts to people from the States people from yeah, Canada would come mad. over people all around the world would come over because yeah. they knew about Canal Street Jean-Paul Gaultier came in once wow yeah I, you know it was really funny I went to with Lulu one night Lulu was in town and so I said come come down come down look at my club and I walked, so as I was walking through the door this lad said to her you know who you look like? You look like, oh my God, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it was dead funny. You're itching to move on to the next song. Which What should we go for? Um, so the next song isn't Oxygen by The Mend, even though it should be, because I'm being told it can't be played because it wasn't a hit. Um, we could end with it if you want. Well, there's there's an idea. I'll have to find it. <laughs> have you got a uh, copy? <laughs> after we get HMV. <laughs> See if it's still in the bin. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah... Beyonce. Yeah, oh, uh, Single ladies. Beyonce, single ladies, on my pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm Steve Denier. I'm sat here with Nigel Martin-Smith. What an incredible pop lounge anthem that was then, Beyonce. You used to play this all the time. All it's the your time. fault. Oh, all God, I used time. to go home singing it all if, the time. If this wasn't played every hour, there'd Doesn't be complaints. Doesn't it remind you of the pop lounge? Yeah. It really reminds you of the pop lounge. Yeah. That, and there's another song that she sang. I can't remember which one it was now. But again, you know... It's, it's, it's one of those classic pop songs that will be played forever. Yes. I'm not particularly a Beyonce fan, really. Um, I don't go for all of that American bling, I've got everything type vibe. It riles me, I don't know why, but I love this track. It's the pop lounge. Yeah, and, and the sight with I just I can hear the cheering the moments you start this, and everybody thought they were Beyonce on that stage yeah. with the lighting and pop lounge is an incredible place. I know, really it was place. it was funny, wasn't it? It, it was, was like packed. Yeah, 
I mean, so it was you, just if, one floor and it was packed. You went up the stairs if you wanted, you know, your Beyonce's, and I played some 80s and stuff like that, and downstairs was a strip, the kind of harder stuff, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. For people that don't know Essential, it was on three floors. There was the chill-out floor that you came in and went for a wee and put your coat in, and you could sit and talk to friends, and there was a bar. And then you went upstairs to the pop lounge, where you were, yeah, um, and or you could go downstairs to the ground floor, and it was a big basement area, and that was the uplifting vocal house anthems, mm-hmm. hands in the air house, yeah, type vibe. So you had like two music policies, and people used to go. It was like on a Saturday night. It was like Piccadilly Station, wasn't it? There was a constant, like, everyone, sweaty people. It took me once 20 minutes just to get up the staircase and follow people in and round and back down again. It was like everybody wanted to experience all the But my office was up behind the pop lounge. Oh, was it? And it used to drive my... Oh, 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 every sixth record. Oh, oh, oh. So I'd be going at home going, oh, 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 oh. How did you sleep after one of those nights? Oh, 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 my foot's going used to drive me mad but yeah Beyonce, Beyonce. spinning around I mean you, no I'm kind of get me Kylie mixed up single ladies Beyonce I couldn't even find I, I couldn't all I could remember is oh, oh I said to my assistant what's that trap by Beyonce oh 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 it's not called oh 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 is it? I had to look <laughs> you up on Google because she's single ladies yeah I, I was referring I to do the, the yeah the, yeah, oh, the dancing oh, oh. brilliant stuff well let's hear your final song and you, this is interesting you picked Take That Relight My Fire with Lulu I'm eager to learn actually why you've picked this one over the rest I'll ask you that in a moment but let's hear this Nigel Martin-Smith is our guest tonight on My Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm Steve Denier. So, Nigel, coming up, I've been gagging to ask you this. Out of all the Take That tracks you could have picked just then, why that one? So, Relight My Fire, This reason this is my number one is, A, it's my favourite Take That song anyway, because I can dance about to it. This is um, a pop lounge favourite. Yeah, yeah, it was one, yeah. And I always like being Lulu in it. I think everyone likes to be Lulu, don't <laughs> they? The bit which comes in, everyone goes in. She bursts through the door. But you know what's so lovely about it is I approach Lulu. I've always really respected Lulu. She's a fantastic... Everyone sort of sees her as a cheesy, still a black type. But she's actually... Listen to her voice. She's still touring in her 70s. She's got a live band and she goes out there. And she's got a great rocky voice. She's got a soulful voice. And what really riles me is... You know, the music industry is quite sexist, really, because, you know, they'll give credibility to and, and respect to Tom Jones and Rod Stewart and Elton John. They're all men. But Lulu is, they don't get any time for. And it's it's cruel, really, because she's great. When I did, when, when the record company wanted someone to do the, vo- the female vocal in Real Atma Fire, yeah. they were approaching all these big, black soul singers all you know the usual sus that jocelyn brown and all of them and um i was like no it's so obvious that use lulu and they were like what and i'm like trust me use lulu 
So um, they went in with Lulu, and, and, and it, she was so cautious because she'd just been through a divorce. She'd just been through a really bad time. She'd, be, she'd brought her son up, and she hadn't been around for years. She was dead supportive of John Frieda, her husband, and his business, and she hadn't been around for years, really. She'd not been doing much, so she was really nervous about doing it and she went into the studio and I said look you've got nothing to lose do it she went in the studio and the record company rang me and went you were right again because yeah. I, I used to I used to they used to question everything that I was trying to do and I, I was forever having lots of dramas over, like, for example, they never wanted to release Babe as a single. It was the, one of the biggest singles. Yeah. I was forever having battles, and this was another one. And they rang up and went, you were absolutely right. It, she's blinding. It's brilliant. It was a genius move because you managed to get two generations of exactly. music fans together. And she, and she was so good at it. Yeah. And she was great live. And when she went on tour with the band again, dead nervous about going on stage and she had this blinding voice and I'd be like Lou why can you what are you scared of why are you so unsure of yourself you're absolutely brilliant singer and now look at her I mean I went to see her live in Manchester last year or whenever it was and she's brilliant live she's 70 odd and she dances about that stage it's like where the where the hell do you get that energy from she's great you know and so yeah I think this is my number one single of all time thank you so much for doing this tonight i've enjoyed it's it it's been great to sit with you and thank you for the brilliant times honestly i could write a book about your nightclub because <laughs> hey, they, they, no i won't I promise <laughs> <laughs> nigel martin smith thank you very much thank you my pride playlist virgin radio pride Thank you so much for listening in. That was the My Pride Playlist Pridecast. And make sure you subscribe to hear loads more good stuff from Virgin Radio Pride. The Virgin Radio Pridecast. Proudly supported by Disney+. Plus, Full of stories and love for all. 